Join me, if you would, tonight in the book of Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, and I am with my kerosene version tonight. I forgot my other one at home, plugged in. It'll be ready for... (laughs) Anyway, the book of Zechariah chapter 14, and we're working through this chapter. And I'd like to read verses 15 and 16 tonight. I want to keep us in mind of the the first verse of... Chapter 13, though, because that really centers in on the message of this gospel according to Zechariah. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Here it says, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. Now over here in the book of Zechariah chapter 14, we find that we have that Spiritual message continuing on. We don't go to a physical fountain and we're not really dipped in uh, physical blood. It is all a spiritual work of God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son. And here in these verses of Scripture we have mentioned in verse 15, it says, So shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel and of the ass and of all beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. Verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, underline that word that are left, which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're going to look at these two verses tonight. In that first verse, verse 15, that we read, there are four different creatures mentioned in that verse of Scripture, and they are all unclean beasts. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the definition of a camel. We're not going to spend much time on the definition of a horse. Or, or a mule or an ass, those are self-explanatory, but we do find that they do symbolize something for us. So we're going to look at this, what they symbol. Over in the book of, the, uh, of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64, we have the prophet Isaiah using a term that reminds us of this verse of Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 64, And I want to begin reading with verse 1 of this and read down through verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 1. As we look at how this verse of Scripture shares with us some spiritual application of just even the human race. In Isaiah 64, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, and the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thy adversaries, that the nation may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. All of this is, is spiritual application. We're not looking at the Lord doing these things from a physical standpoint. Yes, he does melt rock. Yes, he does have volcanoes. Yes, he has done these things. But from a spiritual standpoint, for since the beginning of the world, 
men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither have the, the eye seen, O God, beside thee what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. By nature, we're not in that group. We're as like that camel, or we're like that mule, or we're like the donkey. We're like that. We have not eyes to hear. We have not ear, uh, ears to hear or eyes to see. We're in a brutish mood, and we find that word is used in the Scriptures. Thou uh, meetest him, with re- rejoiceth, and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in the, thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned, and those is... In those this is countenance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as those beasts, an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We cannot produce anything different. We are an unclean, unclean. The Lord demonstrated this a number of times by the description of leprosy and how to prepare a person that is leprous, how he is to call out for his own words, unclean, unclean, unclean. And so we're as an unclean thing. We really have the same attitude uh, as, as those brute beasts do. And over in the New Testament, people are called that very thing. As it goes on to say here, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as the leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. What a miraculous work, a demonstration of the Spirit of God to take us. Now, he does not take unclean animals and make them clean. We've always been lost sheep, but from the outward appearance, except for the knowledge that God has for, for his people before the foundation of the world, we don't know the difference. We don't know what we are until he saves us, and by his uh, revealing power, he opens up, I've known you with, a, with an everlasting love. I purposed you before the foundation of the world. You've always been mine. I've never had you as uh, the object of my wrath. We didn't know that before he saves us. But when he saves us, he reveals the truths of that. So we are all an unclean thing. And he's the one that does the cleaning. All right, would you travel with me over to the book of 2 Peter? 2 Peter, as we think about that verse of Scripture, about those four critters, unclean, unclean. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, we have these words that the uh, Apostle Peter was given by the Holy Spirit. The translation is given to us here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. As we look at the, what we were by nature, unclean, we were as all as an unclean thing. There were certain critters among the Israelites' law, the Jewish law, not to be taken in, not to be had. It is interesting, though, that if you were going to, um, uh, to redeem, <laughs> if you're going to redeem a, a donkey's foal, but if you weren't, break its neck. You're going to have to pay to redeem it. But if you're not going to redeem it, break its neck. Well, Second Peter 
chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation. I'm in 1 Peter, excuse me. My kerosene. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. That's an interesting verse of Scripture. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despiseth government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, now notice this, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and surely utter, utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in that day, in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own de- deceivings while they feast with you. The Apostle Peter speaking to people that have, want to get in, want to be part of, and he says, truly, they are nothing but brute beasts. They have no comprehension or understanding of the Word of God. And except for the revelation of Jesus Christ, nobody would have that. So we have those unclean beasts. We're all as an unclean thing. They're described here. And now let's go over to the book of Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, you know, it really struck me. The Apostle Peter carried his legalism a long ways into the Scriptures. He carried it clear into the 10th chapter of the book of of, uh, Acts. We have the Apostle Peter with this subject that he cannot associate with the Gentiles. Uh, Yep, we're really no better than that, are we? Why would he send me to Nineveh? (laughs) And yet, we find in this wonderful passage of Scripture... The Lord of glory demonstrated unto him that even though they look like brute beasts and even though they seem to be unclean, there are some among even them I have marked out from eternity to be my children. They have also had an everlasting love in their direction. They also have the promise of redemption in their direction. And so it tells us here in the book of Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 9. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. And he was three days without... Oh, verse 10. Oh, Acts chapter 10, verse 9. I'll get this. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh unto the city. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, if there's anything demonstrating that Peter is just a little bit legalistic, thank God he continues to teach us all of our life. He continues to reveal grace unto grace. He continues to be with us. At the, it tells us there that he went up the sixth hour And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. 
he was getting ready to go down to the refrigerator for a snack. And he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending onto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Now, from what we get Peter to comment on, this is a whole flock of unclean beasts. There's not one cow. There is not one thing in here that chewed the cud and had a cloven hoof. Everything is unclean. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He has carried with him up to this point the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, dietary laws that he was taught there in the synagogue. And he continues with it. Now, dietary laws are good, but they're not religion. They're bad when we make them a religion. If you don't like this certain thing, don't eat it. But don't ever tell me I can't, unless it is green. <laughs> All right, let's go on here. It says, the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. But this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, if you'll go down with me to verse 28. We know the story. He is called out to a Gentile. A centurion, a Roman centurion. And it tells us here in verse 28, And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. This is the law. And until the 10th chapter, verse 28 of the book of Acts, the apostle Peter has been following this guideline. And the Lord is teaching him what the uh, uh, prophet Isaiah had been sharing, what other prophets in the Old Testament had been sharing, that there would be people in the kingdom of God from all the isles, Gentiles. Also, this message is to the Gentiles. What was it in Acts 13 and verse 48? When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced. And those who were what? ordained to eternal life, believed. So their ordination, preordination, predestination went before the foundation of the world just like anybody else in the church. He goes on to tell us here, I thought these were all unclean beasts. I thought they were camels and donkeys and asses and so forth. They were creeping things were in that sheep that was brought down. He goes on to say, but God hath showed me. Now, there's one thing about a believer over an unbeliever. An unbeliever cannot be taught. He does not have a teachable spirit. He can't hear it. He will not accept it. It doesn't matter how many verses of scripture you read. It doesn't matter how many definitions you give. It doesn't matter. They're unteachable. And here, the only one that can teach us is, is if God should teach us, we will come to the Son. 
That is the promise of God. Everyone that God teaches will come to the Son. goes on to say, But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now the Apostle Paul is later going to share with Peter, you can't do this. You can't do this. You cannot be legalistic and treat people like this. And he calls it to him to his face. Well, I don't think that Peter had any more trouble with it because he's teachable. A believer is teachable and they can see that they have been wrong and that God is always right. So I'm going to follow the word follow the scripture, and go from that point. So in that verse of scripture, we find that we are, uh, we are as. Peter saw the Gentiles as unclean. Peter saw them no different than all of the unclean beasts that the children of Israel were not supposed to participate with. He saw that they were just like all the other animals that they could not eat. And God shared with him that don't you ever call anything that God says is clean, common or unclean. Now, turn with me, if you would, to the uh, book of Ephesians, would you? Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, we have the Apostle Paul writing to our dear friends in Ephesus. I don't know their names. But you know there's going to be a flock of them around the throne of grace that knew what Paul was writing about. It had been revealed to him. Revealed to them. Jews and Gentiles alike. Ephesians chapter 3. And there in verse 1, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now, I'm not one that believes that Paul took... Judas's place. I think it's just correct right over there in the book of Acts when Matthias was appointed and he was counted as one of the twelve. He's not, Paul was not one of the twelve. If ye have heard of the dispensation of grace of God which was given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed. Now, some of the Old Testament people were believers that were Gentiles. Ruth, a Moabitess. That woman that was on the walls of Jericho. It wasn't as common. It wasn't as knowledgeable as we see it. But there was some, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's the mystery. That the Gentile should be fellow heirs, and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. You know what? Everyone that was saved under Paul's ministry was saved by that same effectual working of his power. Now, he never takes goats and makes them sheep. But we think 
like a goat in our natural state. We are brute beasts in our natural state. We are, uh, as we read over there in the book of Isaiah, we're all as an unclean thing. And when someone cannot admit that they are an unclean thing, they just don't know what it is to be clean. This is the grace of God that allows us to know what we are by nature. That what God had to say about the fall in the Garden of Eden and sin as it permeated the entire being is actually the truth. And then we are able to recognize, you know, that's physical. That camel is physical. And I was a spiritual example of that. Unclean. Not fit. Not good. Wasn't one. But Paul shared with us as the Old Testament prophets when they preached unto the Gentiles and a few were saved, Ninevites. I don't know all that happened there, but there wasn't a Jew among them except that one man, the preacher. He went through there and just said a few words and God worked a work of grace to many of them. All right, now let's go back to the book of Zechariah chapter 14 in that 16th verse. 14.16. It shares with us here. And it shall come to pass. We looked one time at the number of times this phrase is used just in the book of Zechariah. It came came to pass. And here it came to pass. It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. Now this is just not those who attacked the physical walls of Jerusalem. That happened many times. It happened before this was written. It's going to happen after it is written. Israel, Jerusalem is going to come under a lot of attack, but that's not what's being spoken of here. This Jerusalem is the church. Zechariah knew about the church. Isaiah knew about the church. Do you know what? Abel knew about the church. He's the first known one that died. All right, goes on to say here, all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up to from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, everyone that is left. We see in this verse of Zechariah that it agrees with all the other scriptures that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem is another way of speaking about the remnant according to the election of grace. All of those that are left. Now this word remnant is used many times in the scriptures and the principle of it is used more than that. They are the remnant according to the election of grace. And what are they going to do to show that? They're going to come and worship God, the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Now, it's by revelation that anybody knows the Lord of hosts. We've looked at that many times. It's mentioned many, many times. And here in the book of Zechariah, four dozen times in the book of Zechariah alone, it just lets us know who is the author of this book, the Lord of hosts, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is one like that great... um, King got acquainted with pretty close, up and personal, and spoke about it in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, he rules. I found that out. He is the actual ruler of all the earth. If we read before that, we find out he thought he was. 
He looked out over his kingdom. I'm ruling all of this. He found out he was just a puppet in the hands of God. He was just one that God used. God is over all. So, here we find the Lord of hosts. And if we're called on to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, now never does it mention this is literal. This has been all taken care of in the past, and we'll look at the spiritual application of that. But let's look in the Scriptures at the book of Isaiah again. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah the prophet is shown so much that is quoted in the New Testament. (laughs) Many verses in the book of Isaiah are quoted in the New Testament. That's the text, and then we have the message after that. And now we know it as the New Testament. Well, in the book of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6, we find these words, From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, a very small group of people. And then he goes on in verse 9 to explain this, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. Now that's the ones that are left of coming up against Jerusalem. Those I think of Saul of Tarsus. He was proud of his attack against the city of Jerusalem, against the church. He said, after he was saved, I persecuted the church. I killed folks that were in the church. And it broke his heart to think about it. But he was one that came and attacked, but he was one that was left of those that came and attacked the city. The rest were taken care of. But those few, that remnant, according to the election of grace, Saul of Tarsus is one of the examples. And here we find that Isaiah writes about it. He says, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom. And what happened to that place? It was completely destroyed except for one man Two of his daughters. Now his wife got out, but she didn't make it far. She never left. She left physically, but she never left mentally or spiritually. She was still attached in there. Lot. Why did he get taken out? Because he was justified. God was not going to destroy him with that city. But we should have been in there. If it wasn't for a remnant, we should have been a Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. We should have had... All that stuff fall on us. That's what should have happened. But thanks be unto God for his grace. In the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 17, in Isaiah 17, we have the remnant described as grapes and olives. Look here in the book of Isaiah chapter 17 and verses 4 and 5. The remnant 
is described as the very last hanging olives and the very last of the grapes. And in that day shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean and it shall be as when the harvest man gathereth the corn and reapeth the ears with his arm and it shall be that the gathereth ears in the valley of Rephahim. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord God of Israel. At that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eye shall have respect on the Holy One of Israel, and he shall not look to the altars and the works of his hands, neither shall he respect that which his fingers have made, either in the groves or in the images." What a change has taken place. I have no respect for what I used to worship. I have no respect for what I used to go to, the altars that I bowed down to. Just as Saul of Tarsus had no respect for all the law. He, you know what he had to say? When it came to the law, he was blameless. What's he saying? You can't find any fault in me. I've taken care of any time. I had it a little bit. I had an offering made. Here it tells us here, there's just like two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, saith the Lord of hosts of Israel, Lord God of Israel. What a very small amount. And yet to those four or five berries here and there's six or seven grapes here, it makes all the difference in the world. They're not permitted to fall to the ground and rot. They're taken. All right. Now, in the same book uh, of Isaiah, chapter 24, those that are left that came up against Jerusalem, they come and worship the King, the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah chapter 24, and there in verses 13 through 16. Isaiah 24, verses 13 through 16. Thus saith, uh, when thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be the shaking of an olive tree as the gleaning grapes when the vintage is done. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires, even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the isles of the sea. From the uppermost part of the earth have you heard songs, even glory to the righteous. But I said, my leanness, my leanness, woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Yea, the treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. You know who the first purveyor of treachery was? Right there in the garden when that serpent said, did God really mean you shall die? Treachery. All right. So we have here that this passage of scripture about the olive and the grapes, the small amount that will be delivered, made into the best of the wine and the best of the oil. Very small. And as we move through, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 37? Isaiah, chapter 37, verse 31. Except the Lord of hosts had left a very small remnant 
a few olives here on the uppermost branches, a few grapes hidden from everybody else, we should have all been as Sodom and we should have all been as Gomorrah. But he's going to make sure those get plucked for his glory. He's going to find them and call them and make them his own. Here in the book of Isaiah chapter 37, verse 31, Isaiah chapter 37, verse 31 says, And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of the Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. A very small remnant. But they are going to be productive. Tells us right there in that verse, the remnant that is escaped to the house of Judah shall take root downward and bear fruit upward. They shall be fruitful. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I'll never forget getting a trip out into the cherry orchards with Mike one time and he was showing me next year's cherries and the year after's cherries and the year after's cherries are all right there on that branch. The Lord knows his branches. He knows his cherries. He knows his grapes. He knows his olives. All right. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, backing way up to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, we have here the Lord telling us that he has a specific number. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18. Now this is going to be brought out into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul takes this passage of Scripture and preaches the Gospel. And we have the New Testament then. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Elijah and Elisha have been prophets of the Lord, and they've been kind of loners. <laughs> they haven't had a lot of support. And they kind of down in the molly grubs. And the Lord comes along and says, verse 18, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. Now, I didn't used to think that was so valuable until Israel and Judah are two different places, two different nations at this time. This has been after the division. We have Israel, the worst of the worst, and yet there are 7,000 in Israel. 7,000 in Israel. I have left 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And we say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the Lord said, I have left. I have preserved them. I have preserved them. All right. In the book of Joel, in the little book of Joel, if you'd stop there on our way to the New Testament, Little book of Joel. In the book of Joel, chapter 2. One of the little prophets here. And he brings out a verse of scripture that I've had quoted to me, I bet, a hundred times in the last two years. Out of the New Testament. 
And that's the only verse out of that whole passage that's been quoted to me. Here in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 32, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. As the Lord hath said, and in, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. That adds a lot of meaning to that, doesn't it? In the remnant. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Now, guess where that is mentioned? Book of Romans, chapter 10. And that's the only part that is quoted out of that to me. Every time. So let's just travel a little bit over to the book of Romans chapter 10. In the book of Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is bringing up some wonderful statements about a remnant. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Now over here in the book of Joel, where this passage came from, it tells us something about a remnant. I can't wait to the next meeting. You know, I should have checked that out. The rest of the passage here in the book of Romans is self-explanatory. It tells us what it means. But anyway, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 11, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then? shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now there is one, one preacher that has capital P-A-S-T-O-R. And that is Christ. And there is one preacher who has P, capital P, R-E-A-C-H-E-R, and that's Christ. He is the true pastor and he's the true preacher. And when he preaches, he makes a difference. He makes a change. But we found over there in the book of Joel where this came from, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So only ones that call are in the remnant. Now just very quickly, back up to chapter 9 of the book of Romans. Chapter 9 of the book of Romans. Zechariah was preaching the gospel. He said, those unclean left to themselves will never be in. But those who are unclean that God cleans are my remnant. In the book of Romans chapter 9 verse 26. Romans chapter 9. It shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make unto the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom, and we had made like unto Gomorrah. How true that is. And finally, jumping over to chapter 11, 
verse 1. 11, verse 1. In this wonderful message of, of grace, without works, all of grace, all of the remnant according to the election of grace, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And that's our only plea. There is a remnant. And God knows them, and God will call them, and God will present them all of them spotless. So, that group over there that are horses and mules and camels and asses, unclean, unclean, brute beasts, the Lord is able to make us His own. Now, He doesn't take goats and make them sheep. They've always been sheep. But until the Lord of glory reveals the Son to us, we act like, can't tell the difference from, we follow the same religion. We follow the same leaders. We follow the same word. We follow everything until he reveals himself. And then we find out that those, as we read there in verse 16, everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's our lesson for next week. And we'll stop there for tonight.